chapter 4, but concerning marriage, concerning children, concerning spiritual warfare, as Paul will get into this in chapter 6 and concluding the chapter in the, the epistle, many people have viewed this as though this is a, a way for you to have a better marriage. Here are some instructions for you to improve your relationships. But that is not at all what Paul is dealing with here. And as a matter of fact, we see this clearly in chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. This is the previous chapter now of this same epistle. For this cause a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Then Paul says in verse 32, This is a great mystery. This union of two becoming one from the time since God created man in the garden and created Eve from man, the woman from the man, and joined them together. He says that this is a great mystery. But then Paul says in verse 32, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, nonetheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And so here, Paul clearly explains that this is actually not about the marital covenant relationship itself, but that the marital covenant relationship is all about the relationship between Christ and His church. And that our relationship with others, and he deals with practically every relationship that can possibly be dealt with in these passages of Scripture. In fact, let's go ahead and move forward to that in just a moment. I'll briefly go over these, not go into depth because of time and because we've already looked and examined these truths. But in chapter 5, 20, it says, Wives are to submit unto their husbands. And then he says, As unto the Lord. Then chapter 5, 25, Husbands are to love their wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Chapter 6, 1, Children are to obey their parents, in the Lord. Chapter 6, 4, fathers, which we're at this morning, are to teach their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Chapter 6, 5, 7, servants, our employees in our, our context, are to be obedient as unto Christ, doing service as to the Lord. Chapter 6, 9, masters, our employers, are to lead, knowing that your master also is in heaven. When every one of these relationships with wives, husbands, husband, wives, parents, children, children, parents, employers, employees, employees, employers, and every one of these relationships, they have a common thread, and that is it's all as unto the Lord, in the Lord, unto Christ. And the whole point here, again, being that these relationships of which Paul speaks and the directives that Paul gives and the explanation that Paul provides are not about you improving these relationships. It's about you recognizing and understanding that of these relationships is to be a direct overflow of our fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the marital relationship, this covenant relationship of marriage, which God has so graciously given us, this is to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and His church. And what we must understand, of course, as married individuals, or those who may become married in the future, is that in order for that to be true, I, husband, must Love as Christ has loved His church, which means I cannot do that of my own ability. I must allow the love of Christ to be loved, to be ministered through me to my wife. And my wife is to submit to me as to the Lord, meaning she is to subject her will and her desires under the headship, the leadership which God has provided her. And I submit myself unto Christ and unto my wife in the man that I am to submit and die to self, even as Christ gave himself for it, for the church, as he submitted himself totally to the Father's will and purpose for the sake of the church. So we are to submit as husbands ourselves to the Father's purpose, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
or die to self. Not just physically be willing to lay our lives down. That's one thing and that's true. But it's that we are to die to our own desires and will that our relationship might reflect that of the relationship between Christ and His church. And this is what Paul is dealing with and teaching us in these passages. So every one of these relationships is to be an overflow of our relationship with Christ. And as we've seen emphasized throughout this epistle, again, chapters 1 through 3, we are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, Christ is living in us. past several weeks within this study, I've pointed out that there, it is rebellion against God's order, which is at the root of problems which exist within the home. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, and we've dealt with this context, so I'm not just pulling a verse out and using it. Even when I used this weeks back in this study, I expounded upon the truth of all Paul is declaring within this chapter, in this portion of the chapter. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11.3, Paul lays out this truth. He says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and is God. Now, just to clarify again, the head of Christ as God is in relation to humanity of our Lord Jesus. He came in the flesh, humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2, again, what's referred to theologically as the Carmen Christi or the, the, the hymn to Christ. And, and here, Christ humbled himself, became obedient unto death. He lowered himself even lower than the angels in that he became a man manifested himself in the flesh. In that regard, he humbled himself under the headship of the Father in the flesh. That's what's being referred to here in this text. So Paul exhorts everyone in the home to understand and embrace the privilege and the responsibility of the role we have been given in demonstrating and manifesting God's glory and grace in a world of absolute spiritual darkness and unbelief. And concerning the responsibility of children, Paul provided two commands which we viewed last week. The first was obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, he said. Within these verses, Paul, verses 1 through 3, Paul not only provides instruction to children, but also provides the reason of the importance of obedience. Look again at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Paul's instructions for children to obey their parents is in relation to parents teaching their children both in word and example, teaching them the truth of God. Implied instruction for parents here. In other words, parents are responsible to continually instruct their children in the truth of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, here's the question. How will they know instruction in the Lord unless they are being taught instruction in the Lord, which is the responsibility of the parents to do so? Then he goes on to say, for this is right. Why should children obey their parents in the Lord? Paul's answer is, for this is right. This is what is righteous. This is what is good. And this explanation immediately points us again to the importance of God's order and the responsibility that lies with parents to teach and exemplify obedience to God's order. How can one expect for their children to be obedient to their authority if the parents themselves are not living in submission or obedience to God's authority over them? Then he said to honor. The second command or instruction Paul gives for parents is to honor. Verses 2 and 3, honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. The meaning of the word honor is to value. And again, I mentioned this last week briefly. One can respect and value the position that another holds, even if the person holding that position does not respect that position themselves. And one can embrace the truth and what they were taught that is right, despite everything else. 
So in other words, they have been given authority as growing up in a home, children are given authority over them, which is their parents. And parents may not walk in truth. Those parents may not teach truth. But the, the children could, are still to respect the authority, the position of authority, and whatever they can glean that is good and is true and is right from that, let them walk in that truth. And by the way, that is honoring. Because then... It's not about making much to do of a person who may be dishonorable themselves, but rather it's about walking in any truth that you did receive from them, and walking in truth is honorable. So as we look, move forward today now in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we read, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now this statement obviously is a continuation that which Paul had previously declared, and children are to obey, they are to submit to the authority God has placed over them, yet that authority is to rule under the authority of Christ, as Paul has also clearly explained. Now, while we understand that Paul states his emphasis in, of this verse in the last half of this verse, in which Paul exhorts fathers and our parents to teach their children in the Lord, the first portion of the verse is also of tremendous significance. In fact, this probably is one of the areas in which it is easiest to fail as, as fathers, as mothers, as parents, without realizing the importance and consequence of such failure. So let's begin first to consider the scope of Paul's exhortation here. Notice he says, and ye fathers. Now upon first or casual glance at this address, it would first appear that Paul is speaking only to men, only to the dads that are are being mentioned. However, it is important we understand that the address is not limited to fathers alone, but also includes mothers. Now, the word translated fathers, we know this for a couple of reasons. First of all, the word translated fathers in this verse is the Greek word patera, and the same word is translated parents in the book of Hebrews concerning Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, we read, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. That's the same word translated fathers in Ephesians 6, 4. Because they saw he was a proper child and they were, not, or they were not afraid of the king's commandments. So while Paul does directly address fathers specifically in this verse in Ephesians, and he does, just as the scripture in some instances uses the term man to speak of mankind, which includes also women, this verse speaks of both fathers and mothers, or might we say parents. In other words, let me show you another logical reality of this. One could never read this passage as though Paul is simply saying, Fathers, you are forbidden to provoke your children to wrath, but mothers, it's permissible for you to do so. So Paul is not merely saying, Fathers alone, male, the figures, the men in the house, you can't provoke children to wrath, but mothers can. He is saying, Fathers, parents. The same word for parents in Hebrews is translated fathers here, and I believe that is significant concerning fathers for a couple of reasons as well. First of all, because fathers in the home, usually as being given headship over their home, are not usually as much so communicating the heart of the home. While mothers usually are communicating the heart of the home, and fathers communicating the headship of the home. So the point being this, in most cases, not always the case, but in most cases, Men come down much harder on their children than mothers do in most cases. Not always the case, but in most. Now, might I say to you, 
That is important that fathers recognize this and that we not rule over our children in a manner that is not in submission to the Scriptures and to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I believe also it's important we recognize fathers being translated, the patera being translated fathers here rather than parents. We recognize the significance of this regarding the fact that Paul is as well demonstrating or reminding us of the headship of the father, of the man, that we are the ones who are to lead, we are the ones who are to provide, we are the ones who are to protect, we are the ones who are to nurture, to to train, we are responsible for the teaching of our children. And so Paul does point out that fathers, we as fathers, are responsible to do such. But it includes mothers as well. Mothers are, there's no, uh, you cannot negate the responsibility of mothers to continue. As a matter of fact, let me say this, in much much too often, what has happened is this. Fathers have negated their responsibility to teach and train, leaving it to mothers, and mothers, therefore, are not able in that area to submit to the headship, the leadership of their husband in helping to assist them in teaching their children. And so they fully leave it up to moms instead of husbands, dads, fathers, taking the responsibility seriously themselves and then instructing their wives that they might instruct their children. Historically within, historically, within American culture, fathers have been the providers while mothers have been the ones to supervise their children. Now, that's not necessarily saying that dynamic remains as strongly as it once did. But even within this situation, fathers are still responsible to be hands-on in the teaching of their children. So fathers are given a distinct responsibility to lead and to teach. And this means that fathers are to oversee, they are to assist in providing guidance to their wives and how they are to teach their children. And fathers are also to actively be a part of teaching them as well, both in word and deed. Let's move forward and look at the negative aspect of Paul's exhortation because he begins with a negative, then he addresses fathers, but it's all obviously not just dads, it's parents together, but fathers specifically. And then he says, provoke not your children to wrath. So this command is one which may appear to be simple, Yet it is truly a very complex matter when you begin to peel the layers back. The statement, provoke not to wrath, it it simply means to make angry. So fathers are not to intentionally make their children angry. Now this command not only opens a proverbial can of worms, but also presents what could be viewed at least on the surface as as a, a paradoxical situation or statement. In other words, as we will see in the remainder of this verse, Paul commands fathers and mothers to discipline their children, yet preceding that command, he commands parents not to anger their children. Now, when it comes to discipline, children often will have anger or resentment, at least for a moment. I remember even as a child, and I grew up and was, for the most part, submissive in the sense of my attitude and and spirit to my specifically to my mother, who was the one who did a lot of the discipline in our home. And in that case, uh, even as one that was more mild-mannered back then, and submissive more so, then at that time, there were times where I was angry. I didn't, I didn't want discipline. I didn't want to be corrected. I didn't want, to be, I didn't want this, and it didn't matter. I received it anyway. But the fact of the matter is, how can the question then, then must be asked concerning what appears to be this paradox How can one discipline their children without inciting them to anger? Now, although this command would include discipline, it is not concerning discipline alone. 
This command is more specifically regarding the manner in which we regularly interact with our children. So when Paul says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, do not make your children angry, he's not merely saying, when you discipline them, don't anger them. Actually, that would, in most cases, be an impossibility at times at least, because there are times, again, even with the most sensitive of children, that when you correct them and discipline them, they're not going to be happy about it at all, and they may even be angry or resentful about it. And that's, there's nothing you can do to necessarily prevent that as long, so long as you are following Scripture in the manner of your discipline, instruction, correction, rebuke, and so on. However, the, Paul is not merely here speaking of don't anger your children in discipline, though that is true. That's not alone what is being stated. Paul here is, in a more general sense, saying that fathers, you are to be conscious and cautious, and mothers, you are to be conscious and cautious that you do not interact, communicate, rule over your children in such a manner that it is breeding resentment in them. Now, this is where the layers become thick. Because it's not merely, oh, don't anger your children while you, while you discipline them. No, it's that you are to interact with your children in, being submission to, in submission to the Lord, submission to the Word of God, following the direction of God's Word by the working of His Spirit dwelling within you, Christ living in you. In other words, remember, we're talking about not our efforts. So it's not, fathers, do your best to not make your kids angry. It's, fathers, the relationship that you have, our parents, the relationship that you have with your children is to be an overflow of the relationship you have with Christ just as it is to be in your marriage. In other words, in communication in interaction, in teaching, in instructing, in discipline, in rebuke, in correction, I as a father and, and both fathers and mothers, parents, are to do so allowing the truth of the ever-present Christ dwelling within them to be the means and, and the manner in which they interact with their own children. So this is still not about parents and kids and kids and parents. This is about Christ and His church and as the relationship we have with Him, He is living in and through us and this affects how we deal with our children, how we interact with them. So Paul's command here is a command for parents to make certain they do not treat their children in any manner which produces bitterness within their hearts. Too many times parents attempt, and this is one way this happens, I'm afraid, much too often. And this is where you can, you can easily make mistakes in parenting. I'm sure I have to some degree at some point in time as well. You can easily make mistakes in parenting by not understanding this truth. Too many times parents attempt to live vicariously through their children, which will almost certainly lead to resentment within the lives of their children. Another means of provoking resentment within a child's heart is when parents raise their children from an idealistic mentality. In other words... If parents place unrealistic demands and expectations on their children that are not biblical in nature, is what we're talking about here, not biblical, not scripturally mandated, it can easily result in a continued rise of resentment within them. At the same time, parents are responsible to raise their children in a manner in which they provide their children what is necessary to become responsible and productive adults. So there's this understanding that we are to be responsible in teaching our children according to the Scriptures and practically teaching them in life, but at the same time understanding children 
are not us. And that we are not to be idealistic in our understanding of rearing children. And we are not to impose upon them unrealistic expectations. And we are not to treat them as though we want you to do things we never did. And so therefore prompting them and pushing them. Here should be the desire of the parents and this is the responsibility. It's not that they achieve great things and have tremendous jobs. It should be our greatest desire. And this doesn't always become true even if it is our desire. But our desire should be that our children know the Lord and walk with the Lord and walk in truth. This should be the desire. No matter about anything else. What else does anything, in eternity, what does anything else matter? Zero. Nothing. So the question then remains, how are parents to accomplish this? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Parents, do not provoke your children. Do not live in a manner, do not interact in a manner, do not communicate in a manner, do not discipline in a manner, do not instruct in a manner, do not teach in a manner in which it incites resentment within your child. Now, if your child, if you are walking in truth with the Lord and submission to the Word of God, and you correct your children, and your children constantly remain resentful and angry, and you are submission, you are in submission to the Lord, that is them. That's not you. But you are responsible to not interact with them in a manner where that is prompting this or inciting this resentment. So how are parents to accomplish this? Well, let's look at the positive aspect of Paul's exhortation. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. While parents are not to treat their children in a manner which cultivates resentment, as I've already mentioned, parents are accountable before God and responsible to their children to provide godly instruction and correction. He says, but bring them up. The term bring them up means to nourish, to rear. The noun nurture means discipline, training, And the noun admonition means instruction. So as parents, we understand that God has made us stewards of our children. We are responsible as stewards before God to teach, to guide, to discipline, to provide, to raise, rear, and love our children according to His standard. Here it becomes important to understand this again. Sometimes parents have lofty dreams and ideas concerning their kids and what they're going to become, and what they're going to be. You have to die to all of that and submit to God's standard, to God's authority, to God's law, to His righteousness, not making up your own as you go along. We must remember this truth as stewards. Our children are not ours to treat or do with them as we please. But it is to rear them according to God's command as explained in His Word. So what does Scripture say about this? Well, the Old Testament tells us plainly, and this is, of course, alluding to this truth. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-8, the Lord told Israel, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Notice, first of all, God is saying, The word that I have given you, my word, is to beware in your heart. This is where it begins as parents. It must be in your heart first. And then He says, And thou shalt teach them these words diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house when thou walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets before thine eyes MacArthur commented that the command for the people to bind the word of God upon the 
hand had to do with their work being centered around God's truth, and that the mention of the frontlets between the eyes had to do with the people maintaining a biblical, a, an eternal, if you will, perspective. In other words, this is what's being stated. When the Lord said that these words were to be in the heart of the people, and that they were the parents specifically here, and then you are to teach your children diligently in this truth. You are to talk of them, of the truth, when thou sittest in thine house. You are to talk of the truth when you're walking by the way. You are to talk of the truth when you lie down. You are to talk of the truth when you rise up. You understand what, what the Lord is commanding here? He's saying, my word must be preeminent within the home. My word must be preeminent. So God's word is to be paramount within the home. Proverbs 22.6, this is a greatly misunderstood passage. And when you read it in its context, it does provide much more clarity. But Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. The misunderstanding of this verse has produced guilt within many parents. There are things we must consider concerning this verse to understand what is actually being stated in the meaning. First, we need to recognize this is a principle and not a promise, and I'll explain that further in just a moment. There are many children, obviously, as Proverbs warns, who rebel and act in their foolishness rather than wisdom. And the Scriptures tell of the result of such an action of the fool, the one who lives in foolishness, and that is that individual's responsibility. The parent's responsibility is to teach, raise, rebuke, instruct, nurture, and then the child, either by the grace of God, will submit to such truth and humble himself under the the, the truth of God as God would work in his heart, draw him to truth, and therefore live out that truth. Or, children will rebel. And without divine intervention, let me throw this out, and this, may, has, this has much to do with this verse, actually. Without divine intervention, a child will always self-destruct. Without divine intervention, adults will always self-destruct. Without divine intervention, mankind is inherently simple, and his path is on a road to destruction. And if God does not divinely intervene, he will self-destruct. And so the responsibility of the parents is not to change that. We can't eternally change that, but we are to point them in the right direction, which is Christ. And let them understand, you will self-destruct if you are not submitted to God, if you are not submitted to the truth of the Lord Jesus, if you do not come to faith in Jesus Christ by God's provision of the gospel, then guess what? You will self-destruct. And that is inevitable. That's absolute. So this is not a promise, this is actually a principle. But we see that even more so, second, that this is a warning. If you actually dissect the truth of what's being stated here, he's not even necessarily giving a directive as much as he is making a declarative statement here. The proverb states, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. We have viewed that as though that is a directive. You are to train up a child, and then this promise is attached that if you do that, then everything's going to be fine. Well, let me tell you something. We all fail as parents, do we not? And if we are, hinged, if we are hinging our hope on that, then we are pretty hopeless because Christ is the Savior of man, not parenting. Are you following? But that does not negate our responsibility by any means. So when he says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not be part of it, will not part from it, when you actually understand and, and, and kind of dissect this verse, you'll come to find this out. 
What he is saying is, if you allow a child to continue according to his own bent, according to his own way, he'll just continue in that way. So what's actually being stated is this. If you do not, as parents, understand the responsibility before God and to your children because of the headship God has given you, if you do not understand this responsibility and you just hands off let your children do, you, let, you give your children their way, you let them go as they desire and as they choose, guess what? They will self-destruct in their own way. That's what's being stated here. So if you allow a child to continue according to his own bent, now why is that true? Here's why that's true. Because we are all sinful by nature. Remember what Paul says in Romans concerning both Jew and Gentile alike. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. So no one is looking for God, and no child is going to come out of the womb going, I just want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. (laughs) No child is going to be in the store looking at the candy and going, I really want to pitch a fit and I really want this candy, but guess what? That's not what would please the Lord. Now think about it. Now those are simple things, but here's the reality of it. If we as parents do not take the responsibility serious, which God has given in a serious manner, seriously taking it, then what will happen is our children go their own sinful way and will continue in their sinful way and will die in their sinful way, having never received proper instruction. Again, let me show you that this is not a promise, but a principle, and here's why I say that. There are parents who are extremely feeling extreme guilt because they desired to see their children walk in truth. They taught their children truth. They prayed for their children, and yet their children have rejected truth. I understand that personally. But there are those who experience great guilt over that because they immediately go, where did I fail? Well, let me remind you of something. You cannot save your children, only Christ can. Do you understand that? And you, if you're guilty of not submitting to the Lord in areas, which we all are, then let us confess this guilt. I'll be honest with you, I have called all three of my children this week. And I've apologized to them for where I have failed as a father. I'm not saying that boastfully, I'm saying it because I realize that there are areas, much as my desire and my intent and my purpose was to lead my children, my family in truth, and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am aware there are areas where I did not do that, or I fell short, or I allowed myself to get in the way of God's purpose and plan as it should be. And I've had to say, look, I have failed. And that's not the first time I've ever done that, obviously. But in this study, it brought me to that to say, look, I, I, as your father, apologize. But I will say this. It was not from passivity. And it was not out of a lack of concern. It was my own ignorance in which I failed. But then shame on me for being ignorant. So the point I'm making is that even if we do the best we can, when I say the best we can, I don't mean in your human efforts. I'm saying we are submitted to God, following the Word of God. We are trusting in the Lord to do what only He can do. That does not mean that everyone's child is going to come to faith in Christ or follow after the Lord all their days. It doesn't mean that. But let me show you again why this is not a promise but a principle. 
If one is left to their own way and they're never provided instruction, they're never provided the gospel, they are never taught truth, they're never, they're never even taught the, the righteousness of God, is God not still able and has not God proven to redeem those who were in godless families and raise them up out of that unto his own choosing? So the point is, as parents, the emphasis is this. We are not to simply let our children be and continue as they are, but we are to instruct them in the truth, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. We are to rebuke them. We are to correct them. We are to discipline them. We are to love them. We are to protect them. We are to provide for them. And we are to point them to the Savior who is their only hope, just as He is our only hope. This is our responsibility. If you're not careful, let me tell you what's going to happen. You'll read verses like this, and you'll start to embrace moralism rather than the gospel. Oh, I want my children to grow up and look right and act right and do right. Well, I want my children to do right too, but I've said all along, my desire is not my children look right, act right. My, my desire is my children be right. That they're in a right relationship with God. That's my desire. So we see in this that though we fail in areas, obviously, it is our responsibility to instruct and teach them, to guide them in the truth. And if they are not brought under submission by the work of God, that's still our desire and our prayer, but they may rebel and they may continue to rebel. But if God divinely intervenes, and let us be aware of this. Two of my children profess faith in Jesus Christ, and I thank God for that. But let me tell you, that has nothing to do with anything I've done. That's all the grace of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I can't credit my good parenting or my wife's good parenting for my children coming to faith. But I also understand that even though I have failed, it's not my failures for which one of my children rebels and rejects the truth. Rebels against the truth and rejects the truth. I understand this. He is a sinner by nature. And God must divinely intervene to bring him to faith. And that is my prayer. See that a child left to himself will self-destruct if, he's not, if there's not divine intervention. And it may be that part of that divine intervention is that God has given parents who understand the truth of their responsibility to teach and to direct and to guide. Do you understand that? That may just be part of the divine intervention which God is implementing along the journey of life. So we see this is not a promise but a warning when we consider the logic of this verse. If one teaches their child truth, one can still rebel and the salvation of a child is not left to the parents but to God's grace. Also, God has obviously graciously redeemed many a child or adult who has never been taught the truth of the gospel in their home their entire lives. Paul's exhortation is for parents to nourish their children in the discipline and training, instruction of the Lord. I've often said that correction without instruction breeds rebellion. And if all a parent does is just discipline their child and never instruct their child in truth, resentment will reside due to such behavior. And this is not to say that when parents correct and instruct biblically, that the child will always adhere. However, it is the responsibility of parents to discipline and instruct from the Scriptures as they embrace and live their lives from a biblical or eternal worldview. 
This command for parents, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Parents, provoke not your children to wrath. But nurture them in, or but, but to uh, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This command is one which has significance regarding Christ-like living as He is living His life in us. Parents are to rear their nurture their children, love their children, discipline their children, instruct their children in the Lord. We are to live the example of submission before our children as we submit to the Lord ourselves, demonstrating the importance of God's order. Christ-like living in the family is not a mere attempt to add Jesus to the daily communication within the family, but it is to submit to the Lord Jesus that His life, His love, His wisdom, and His instruction might be demonstrated within our lives. Once again, we only manifest Christ living in us, Ephesians 4 through 6, as we embrace our position in Christ as declared within Ephesians 1 through 3. Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, then submit and embrace to this truth that Christ might live in you. Manifest His life in you, through you. May it be that we walk and live in such a manner, communicate such a manner in which we demonstrate, manifest the very love of God in Jesus Christ, which in which we have relationship and fellowship with God through our Lord Jesus in every single relationship which we have. Remember, while many would say, oh, well, this is going to teach you how to have a better marriage. This is going to teach you how to be a better parent. This, that's not what... Paul is saying, wait a minute, wake up here and understand from chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4 through 6 are rooted and grounded upon the truths of 1 through 3, and this is the truth. All these relationships, it's not about these relationships being horizontal, it's about this relationship being vertical, and therefore every other relationship is an overflow of our fellowship with our Lord. I conclude with this very simply. As I've said so often, we have to come to a point to where we stop trying and start dying that Christ might live his life through us.